Anthony, you recording? I am. I've been recording. Nice. Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are a podcast that used to be about books. I am your host. I'm Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. A, uh, a rainy day in Los Angeles today, recording from our home studios, as always, because we were doing bad quality podcasting before it was cool. Um, I do want to say really quick before I introduce everybody, before I talk more about this, that um, you clicked on the title. You saw this was coming. We are watching Alien today. And look, I just... I just want to let you know that we are not trying to choose movies related to the pandemic. Like we're just doing film school. <laughs> like we would have anyway. Like, right. And like we did seven seal. I didn't realize that was about the plague and like rear window. It wasn't like, this is about staying at home. And that's why I was talking about it. And I, I like, I swear it's not on purpose. So like, um, I did not realize when you guys said, hey, we should watch Alien, that it was about the dangers of breaking quarantine. Oh, wow. It really is, though. Yeah. I didn't think about it either. I, uh, the it's theme like, of this movie. We're being subconscious if, in this, okay? Yeah, it's, it's such an accident. So that's why I just want you guys to let you know that next week we're watching something that has nothing to do with this at all. We're watching 12 Monkeys, which is just about monkeys, I assume. Yeah. And no virus. And it's just a the fun... Week after that, you know, we're studying the Steven Soderbergh class, so contain Contagion. Yeah. Obviously, a completely standalone movie has nothing it's to not, do with it. Nothing to do that. We wouldn't, I would never. And then I, I did... Um, Oh shit! I thought of more of these, and then I forgot. All right. Anyway, you get it. Um, we're not actually watching Twelve Monkeys, but yeah, anyway, it was it. an accident. Um, so uh, let me introduce you to today's panel. Ezra is still, um, well, he's still in quarantine with his children, and so he's too busy to be here. But joining me this week, as always, in Southeast Portland, is Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, Alex! Excited to be here. Not. Uh, uh, I got nothing. It's a very nice day. It's not rainy like it is in California. It's really nice uh, in Portland, so you're missing out. It Should sounds nice. I like that about it. Um, although it's actually, this is not interesting, but I did, uh, I kind of like the rain now that it's not ruining my life. Like in Portland, it was like, oh, I got to go out in this and it's every day. It's like, and here it's like, oh, it's raining. Fun, different. So How dare it took you? me like three months to change affiliations. Um, also joining us today at Hungry Hunting on Instagram, also in Southeast Portland but in a different part of Southeast Portland, like they're very far away. Um, not, I mean, not just six feet far away, but they're like actually like an annoying drive away from each other. Mm-hmm. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Hey, what's up? Um, I'm actually Wait in Northeast second. Portland now. Yeah, I was just going to say, you just moved to Northeast Portland. Yeah. Yeah. I live Even right before by... you were an annoying drive. But yeah. In Northeast. That's great. We got a Northeast and a Southeast. I live that's in a better. great neighborhood. Um, that's actually got a really good name. It's called Bopo. Um, which means, <laughs> uh, between Popeye's because I live between, <laughs> Two Popeyes chickens that are on the same street in Portland. I not, yeah. I did not realize that that's what that neighborhood was. Is you're the yeah, they're Popeyes really close together too. Okay. So it it makes absolutely no sense. It's great. Definitely <laughs> what Portland is mostly known for. Uh, yeah, everyone thinks about food, it as a fried chicken mecca. Fried chicken, yeah. <laughs> fast food fried chicken. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate you guys calling in from different parts of Portland to talk to us. Like I said, we're talking about Alien, but before we jump into that. Let's ask the question we've been wondering every week. Uh, what else are you watching this week? Uh, Anthony, let's start with you. What else did you watch this week? Um, so I have gone full tilt alien this week. Uh, busted out uh, my Blu-ray collection of the whole four films. 
uh, and we're working our way through the whole series. We're past the two good ones. So buckle <laughs> up. We're getting getting ready for the bad ones. Um, but yeah, besides watching Alien, I had a fairly unique experience this week. Um, because we were, we were doing Alien and Aliens back to back. And it was getting pretty late. And my wife had to work the next morning. So we decided to go with the theatrical rather than the director's cut of Aliens. Mm-hmm. And I have never seen that version of the movie before. Oh, interesting. It was Man, I don't know anything about it. And to... it's hard for me to talk about. Um, it was very strange to see a movie that you know very well with like 25 minutes just missing. Like I thought I was going crazy uh, for a little bit. Like, I knew I was watching the theatrical cut, but there were just scenes that I assumed were in the original as well. Like I was just sitting there and I was like, oh, this is the the uh, automatic turret sequence is coming up. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, did I dream that? Was that a different movie? Uh, but I looked it up only in uh, the director's cut. I had no idea. Um so it was very weird to see a movie kind of how, uh, you know, it was originally seen by a lot of people. I definitely do think uh, I like the pacing of the theatrical release. It's just a bit snappier. I do really like the director's cut of Aliens. Uh, definitely I mean, think that it the director's few- cut means is like the director doesn't have another job, so he's got the free time for the movie to be longer, right? <laughs> That's how they... Well, I mean, you get a lot more good character stuff in Aliens. Um, I'm also... I've never seen Aliens. I should I should say, um, I have seen... I had seen Alien before this, but it had been a long time. The only other Alien franchise movie I've seen is Alien Resurrection, uh, which we oh, watched here. back in uh, episode 292 as part of our international live show about the- motherhood. The director of Amelie, Aliens 4, <laughs> just, you know, the go-to guy. I am excited because on the infos of this, on my director, on my Blu-ray set, I ha- it has the assembly cut, which isn't a director's cut of Alien 3, but it is, like, much closer to David Fincher's vision, uh, and I've never seen that. So I was going to watch that uh, tonight or tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to seeing Alien 3 in new light. Um, well, I I can't wait for you to get to the one about motherhood, so we can t- I can finally contribute again. Yeah, I mean, they oh, definitely. I I would definitely suggest checking out Aliens. Uh, have I ever told you the story about how James Cameron pitched Alien Aliens? I think you would really love it. It involves. I, I feel like you have, but it's been I can't remember now. Uh, so this is one of my favorite story Hollywood stories. When James Cameron met with the producers to do an Alien sequel. Uh, they asked him what his pitch was, and he goes, let me show you. And there was, like, a whiteboard in the room, so he went up on the whiteboard, and he wrote alien, and then he pointed it at it, and then he put an S at the end of it. Oh, you did tell me this. And then he put two dollar signs through the S, (laughs) and sat down. (laughs) And that was his entire pitch. Uh, Wait, so, sorry, so I don't want to interrupt. This is a great story that I believe you may have told on the show before, but also... So James Cameron made the second one, but he didn't yes. make this one. No, this is Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, yes. I mean, there was also what an eight-year, you know, the Alien Two was a movie that was definitely in production hell for a long time till this mm. young upstart who had just made Terminator uh, got a chance to make it. Uh, okay, I, I'm sure this has come up on the podcast before. Uh, Hunter, I don't know if this has ever come up with you. Um, well, I don't. I'm just curious of your opinion on this. Me personally. I am a very big James Cameron fan. 
I I think James Cameron is uh you know you talk about like Tarantino's 10 films he's going to make uh James Cameron has made 8 movies and I would say basically all of them are masterpieces. Uh I love Every single one of his films. I think he can be an You're obnoxious person. You're a fan of person. Piranha 2, The Spawning? Well, that's not a James Cameron movie. He was fired oh, okay. off that one. But <laughs> okay. Everything from, I think, you know, Terminator to Terminator 2 is one of the greatest runs a director's ever did. Uh, and then I really, True Lies is probably the film of his I think holds up the least just because it's has some very problematic elements nowadays, but it's still a very fun movie. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, Titanic, I really like. I really like Avatar. I don't think it's uh, one of his better movies, but I still think it's better than most uh, action movies. Uh, I just, I'm a big fan of his work. And I think you, aliens, you really like the documentary film Ghosts of the Abyss. They're interesting. <laughs> uh, if you if you ever get the chance, I don't know if it's Ghosts of the Abyss or the other documentary he made about the maybe the titanic one but there's a uh uh an incredible scene you should just try to find this one scene in one of the uh one of the documentaries uh where it like it's like this really tough day on the shoot everyone's getting up early morning and then you see uh, like someone look uh, zoom in on a calendar and it says uh september 11th 2001 uh, oh. And then they're filming their underwater documentaries when the attack happens. And then James Cameron gets the crew together and is like, guys, oh. this just happened. Um, but we're going to keep filming. Uh, so if you want to see James Cameron react in real time to 9-11, that footage exists. And he just uh, goes back to reading that book to preschoolers. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's him and George Bush are the two celebrities you can find footage of. Right. That's amazing. The 9-11. I am gonna. So I obviously I don't know his work well enough to just recited that. I was just pull up the list, but I was a little disappointed. Even though I'm definitely gonna watch for this documentary about him going to the Titanic now, I just thought Ghosts of the Abyss was his sequel to The Abyss. No, if you want to see actually my favorite documentary, not made by him but starring him, is Under Pressure, the documentary about the making of The Abyss. Oh, uh, is fascinating. If you don't know, if you want to learn about. How crazy James What's Cameron is under pressure. Under, under pressure. It is a documentary about the movie. So most of that movie, this is becoming uh, Anthony's James uh, James Cameron corner here now, uh, <laughs> which is weird for a person who's unrelated in any way to this film. Yeah, yeah but well, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. It's, like I also watched Aliens right after. Like I literally Alien. The credits rolled, and I just started Aliens up right yeah, away. Exactly and I've done that many times. Yeah. Um, yeah, there it's I mean I would argue that Aliens is one of the greatest sequels and like how a sequel should be done mm-hmm. um, by someone else many years later well, just, just for money. No, that's <laughs> not, not at all what money. happened there. Well, you just said the dollar signs. That's what I was basing no, that, that was, on. He was they were, he was going to make them a lot of money and he Right, did. he was His talking to money people. Of course yeah. he's going to oh, tell okay. them he's going to make them a bunch of money. But okay, I mean sure. like if you look at like I, I'm not a big fan of sequels. That's a pretty cliche sort of thing to say. Um, but I think that most sequels just make the first movie again, which would have been very easy to do with Alien. But Alien set the template for like how to properly make a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Alex, you should check out Under Pressure because I think you would appreciate the fact that uh, that I'm whole film definitely going to check that out. And the all- film was shot in like a decommissioned nuclear. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those big silos they shoot like that, like Homer Simpson works in. 
uh-huh. they filled yeah. one of those with water and right. spent 12 hours a day underneath it in scuba suits filming it. It's- I, I mean, we watched <laughs> The Abyss for uh, Wet Month uh, a couple years ago. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that episode 356 um so i and i and i really like the abyss i i think you are uh, it's weird that you still like titanic and it's crazy making to me that you like avatar but this good movies yeah right um but uh but the like but the abyss i really really enjoy and so it makes me want to see more things that are anything about the abyss i'm up for and also ghosts of the abyss should be his sequel or actually you know what it should be it should be abyss's and then the sec- the third okay. S has dollar signs. Sure. Um, um, I, I want to get in a quick James Cameron point before we move on, because we've spent way too much time on it already. But um, I uh, second basically everything Anthony said, except for I dislike Titanic, but not because of any of the filmmaking. It's because of like ideological reasons. I don't like the way that class is depicted in Titanic. And I think the yeah. class message of that movie is kind of a little bit nasty actually Poor people will have more fun that's a sure problem? oh the charming poor people uh in the belly of the <laughs> ship are and, and actually <laughs> alex this is, not, this is not your time um but <laughs> talking about classism in any movie is i don't know we don't want to derail the whole show right um but i think james cameron is crazy level competent like master and which is yeah it sounds like a diss but it's like his level of competency i can't think of a filmmaker off the top of my head that you could cite as just like well yep that he's good at at doing the work of making a movie and of telling and of using a movie to tell a story there's a very good patrick h willems uh video on youtube uh it's actually a series he does called blue flame special where he talks about how actions action scenes works or action scenes work that is um and there's an episode all about why james cameron is the best action director of all time and it is he makes a very good case <laughs> yes i mean all I, right. think, all I think right. his movies are like even with titanic it's like his, his movies are designed to make the most money theoretically possible and they succeed and he has to make a lot of concessions to do that but i think yeah like you said the the technical craft of James Cameron's work to me is what makes his movies infinitely mm-hmm. rewatchable. Uh, yep. He's just one of the greatest to ever do this. Uh, and basically all he ever wants to do for the rest of his life is make more avatars. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, those will be done pretty soon. Relatively. Yeah. It's only been what? 25 years. He's been working on them. <laughs> well, how many years? Be t- First off, can I just say this? I, I genuinely believe Avatar 2 is going to be great, and it's going to oh, be the biggest movie ever made. Oh, no, you're so confusing. No, but let me let me explain. <laughs> let me just explain this. One, okay, James Cameron has nailed every sequel he's ever made. And every sequel he's ever made okay. has about eight years between them. And I think that by the time movie theaters are really going to... I was thinking about this this week. But by the time people are really comfortable to going, like, going back out, seeing movies, they're going to want something that makes them feel like they're getting their money's worth when they go to see a movie, and that's going to be right about the time Avatar 2 comes out. And I think it's going to create a perfect storm, and Avatar 2 will be the biggest movie ever made. I have just learned personally, don't ever bet against James Cameron. So those are good, those are compelling, interesting reasons. Um... But if you're telling me that when I finally get to take my face mask off, I have to put on 3D glasses, there's I'll just die. I'll just get the virus and die. 
<laughs> is it going to stick time with 3D? Thought, is that confirmed? Is that uh, pop? It will definitely probably be. I mean, he's this big one. I think he's talking about like variable frame rate is kind of the thing, but 3D Finally. will probably be there. Hey, I. I'm not going to bet against the man. Like if James no, Cameron variable wants frame to do rate this, is, and also variable frame rate is great. I'm, I'm, I, that's an actually yeah. interesting, good, cool technology. 3D movies are the worst thing that has ever happened four times, and I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. It's not gonna work. It's it's a, <laughs> it's the failed concept, and you should well, stop it. Just like Lord of the Rings, they're really gonna fail without your bucks, Alex. So I think. Well, uh, I mean, on the like this. Okay, so I'm not gonna say that I am in the majority on the Lord of the Rings issue. They're boring movies, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not, I'm not the majority there, but most people do not like 3d movies and it does seem like it's mostly been a failed experiment. I I do agree that 3d, 3d kind of had its time to shine and it didn't really make the argument that it, uh, I would argue that 3d is like the biggest problem with it was people who weren't making movies conceived for 3D and it being right. sort of rushed and copied. Uh, I think films that are designed by true artists like Hugo by Scorsese or even Avatar. And I think Avatar 2 is going to look phenomenal in 3D if it is made that way. And you don't have to see it in 3D. His movies get released in 2D as well. No one is making you see something in 3D, which is the complaint well, I don't sometimes get. Sometimes the theaters are. But I anyway, we should move on, because this was yes. just our one-minute segment about what Anthony watched this week. Hunter, what else did you watch this week? Uh, here, so, uh, well... In, and we're out of time, in, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll just tell you this. Uh, th- this, isn't, uh, this isn't something I watched, but um, about an hour ago, uh, some food was delivered to me. <laughs> Um, and because of coronavirus, the food was just left there. Um, so now, now I was in an, an ethical situation. It was a bunch of wings. Um, and the name on the thing was John W. Now the problem is that for my, um, podcast space cats, I have a, uh, we have a very big fan whose name is John W. And I was uh-huh. talking to him about food, um, specifically oh. food in Portland. And I could not remember if I had given him my address and that he had just decided to buy me food. Now, now I've realized that this is a lie I told my hungry self in order to justify the very food-based crime that I just recently did. Wait, no, which you is just ate I, these, this food and it wasn't yours? Well, I did just find out after we turned on the record because John messaged me and said, dude, I did not buy you wings. I don't have your address. So... I did steal wings. To be fair, though, you're supposed to behave in these times as if you have the thing. Now, we're not going to say what the thing is, but we're supposed to behave like we have it, which means the wings had it, which means they had to be contained. And the only way they could be contained is if they were in my (laughs) belly. You quarantined them in your body. They are in my body now, and I will be purifying them with my (laughs) organs, and then they will be... They they will be destroyed. Okay, well, we, I don't have I to think, tell you the whole process. Yeah, the, I the think key, the key to prosecuting for you for this would be intentions. Like you'd have to have been acting maliciously and stealing these wings, mm-hmm. not um, like a dumb dumb, which is well, how you actually. Okay, behave. no, 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 Alex. Let me give you more information because I was going to just include the funny stuff, but to to clear my name, <laughs> this is this <laughs> because you have to make everything a moral situation. 
Uh, I was on your side. I, I was helping you because you okay. felt bad. Well, I, I'm easily provoked, okay? Uh, <laughs> I I went to all of my neighbors and asked them all if they were their wings. They all said no, okay? This story felt, it made huh. sense to me that, yeah. okay, I guess John got me some wings. That's so sweet of him. And turns out he did not. And that's too late. So well, you I don't know whose wings belly. they are. No, at that point somebody's got to eat the fucking wings. Yeah. Like the fact that you asked multiple people and they said yeah. no. It's like, well, you're going to spend your night tracking down John W. Right? No, there's you know? no way I can do that. Yeah. What are you going to no. do? Just leave the wings there for him to come get. It's true. And what you want John W to eat cold hours, old wings. <laughs> no, you took the bullet for him. So he didn't have to. Right, well, he's, probably, just, he's probably already gotten his wings now. Having ordered you credit. food, having just ordered you food a few days ago, you—I know this—you do watch the little person on the map track where the food is at every moment. So John is going to be—if John does not live around you, he's going to know it's been done wrong, and he's just going to get more wings. Uh, I like to think it was a food delivery guy just quitting mid delivery. Just oh, go, this is like when that. Uh, Flight yeah. attendant took the slide and a beer and went out. Yeah, well, just he, like, did, he know, didn't I, even wait. He didn't wait yeah. at all. He just exactly. left it. You know, have you considered the sort of malicious someone was trying to poison you with random chicken food? Uh-oh. Oh, man, you just you, you just brought in a Trojan horse, man. There's little yeah. tiny Greeks inside of those chicken wings. Oh, no, and, and now, now they're, they're in my belly. You. Little Greeks yeah. in my belly. You can't oh, sleep no. again because that's when they're going to come out. No. Man, it's so dangerous for you. Okay, so really quick, what I'm going to say is what I watched this week is uh, I, I watched an amazing film. I watched The Great Wall with you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So uh, we watched the 2016 action adventure film starring Matt Damon. Um, so really quick, the, uh, um, back in January, we got an email from Jess, and I read it on the air, but just to jog your memory, Jess said, since you guys really embraced Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I'm hoping you'll tackle a movie that has intrigued slash plagued me since its pre-production announcement, The Great Wall. Nothing about its existence makes sense. It's a Chinese historical sci-fi epic starring Matt Damon, which might be racist, except it's made by Chinese. It's a Chinese movie, and presumably the cast they cast him to be able to market to us, the Western audience, which still might be racist. It's unclear to me. Anyway, um, Jess asked us to investigate, and investigate we did. Uh, the three of us watched Great Wall together, and it was a good time. So, what did you guys learn? What did we learn about the Great Wall? What can we report back to Jess about it? Um, it didn't. I mean, this is a podcast with uh, you know. It's we're kind of limited in our representation here, but yes, it did not strike me as racist, um, mostly um, because the white people in the movie were white people. I don't know. Like they just it, it wasn't like it wasn't as racist as I guess Last Samurai feels racist. I don't know if you agree, but go ahead. I I mean, we also have a lot of representation representation of dragons on this show <laughs> and i just want to say i uh, the the race issue was so much downplayed by the fact that i did not realize this was a movie about 10 million dragon creatures yeah i i managed to get into this movie i knew matt damon was in it but i did not know the premise of this movie it turns out the reason why china built the great wall it was not for mongolians it was to keep out 
dragon things. Right. The and Mongolian these, thing, that was a cover story. Okay? It was a cover that story was... to keep out the dragons. And they, including the best part of the movie, is a dragon is climbing up the... They don't fly, these dragons. Climbing up the wall, and it turns out the wall has 30-foot scissors built in the wall, and it'll just cut a dragon in half. Mm. Yeah, this I, movie is so bonkers, and Matt Damon's appearance in it, it just is so much lessened in importance when the whole movie is so confusing. Yeah, you don't really think about the social implications of a movie that has dragon scissors in it. Yes, like, exactly. I, Once the dragon scissors come out, Matt Damon is not even that important. I <laughs> yeah. don't know about you guys, but I was very glad that I caught it when I when it did. Because I think if I had seen it in 2017, 2016, I would not have known who Pedro Pascal was at the time. So I, I always like when it's like, he would have just been a guy who was like, you know, he would have been forever the, oh, that guy from the Great Wall for me. But now it's like, oh, the Pedro Pascal is in this. So uh, That's I interesting. like that, you know? Yeah, that is cool. So we watched this. We did like, we tried to do like a live thing. It did not go super well for technical reasons, but I really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. So we're going to try to figure out a new way that we can do a live heckle of a movie because I think that was a fun thing. So um, we will have more about that in the future as we figure out the technical aspects of this. Okay, great. Now. The show two-thirds over. It's time to talk about our topic, <laughs> Alien, 1979. Anthony and Hunter, why did you pick this movie for me? Um, well, I think we messed up. We probably should have picked Aliens, because um, I think that was that like clearly from it sounds like you guys want to talk more about Aliens, yeah. and it sounded like you guys were more excited to watch Aliens. Yeah, I don't. I just think I didn't really think about it, it the right way. Um, but I, because I think in my head, so in the past, I've always thought, oh, I like Alien better because Alien's more atmospheric. Although we are kind of doing this all in the wrong order. But I then just immediately watched Aliens, and I don't know, Aliens is just so much fun. Um, but we should at least try and talk about the movie that we are supposed to watch. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say, you know, I think sort of us, the pro- the thought process of how we d- ended up on this was we were doing a lot of sort of classic movies. We've been hitting a lot of different decades. Uh, and as we kind of, we wanted to do something a little bit more recent uh, and in a genre we hadn't done before. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we had gone from, you know, everything from like French New Wave to, you know, sort of... Um, more suspense and then kind of a classic uh horror film and there's not you know my one of my biggest pet peeves in film criticism and you, you've seen this a lot recently uh is when you hear about like elevated genre work uh yeah i think it's just very shitty and in the last few years with stuff you know like the witch uh hereditary us had a lot of this kind of stuff it's like elevated horror i think it's mm-hmm. such a shitty way to talk about condescending yes and it it is like oh no that's not a real genre uh but i definitely think it is there's a lot of great work on it you know i mean the main influence i uh like i I said i have a very nice blu-ray collection of these movies i don't own a lot of physical movies left but i was going through the special features and uh ridley scott's main influence on this film was texas chainsaw massacre he just talks a lot in the uh in the special features about how much that movie influenced him and how much he loved it. And it's like, you know, alien is, you cannot have a more quote unquote elevated horror film just in terms of this film is, you know, talk to death. It built this huge franchise right. and universe. But also in a literal sense, cause it's in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is like, it is this movie so, that is 
yeah, it's so incredibly talked up and important, but it's at the end of a day, it's a it's a monster on a spaceship B movie. This movie was almost a Roger Corman movie. Like they were about to close the deal with Corman Studios when Fox randomly came in and bought. What does that mean? What's Corman? Sorry, go back a second. Uh, Roger Corbin was a film producer in the 50s, 60s, I mean, till like the 90s, to be honest with you. But he's sort of like the ultimate schlock jock. Uh, he made very cheap movies, but it's like the uh, normal. He kind of looked like you, Alex. It was like you if you financed. <laughs> no. uh, he was like a very... Uh, so he looked uh, like me or he behaved like well, me? It's just like a lot of people, he looked like you. Like a very, okay. like a lot of people who make like a lot of money making sort of like B movies or like weird perverts and stuff like that. But and Roger Corman is like he a... Looked like. Yeah, you know, Roger Corman looked like a nerd from a businessman. Oh, he was okay. the opposite of that. He didn't have a weird personality. So wrong. Uh, he didn't have like a, a... He was just like this dude who... Wanted to get movies done, get them out, make for real as cheap as possible, make a lot of money. And he's like famous for having what is known as like Roger Corman Film School, which is he gave almost all the big directors of the 70s to the 90s their start. You know, Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, James Cameron's Piranha 2 was an originally a Roger Corman movie, Uh, Ron Howard. Interesting. George Lucas, it goes on and on. The amount of people who he would like, he he would just hire anyone who wanted to work in movies and then they would make movies for him and eventually go on to being huge. I can can see why just pulling up his filmography really quick, he is directing nine movies a year, some years. (laughs) Which is so bonkers. Yes, that was, you know, like very famously, um, Francis Ford Coppola's first movie was, he was like Working with Roger Corman at the time, and Roger Corman was like, "Hey, you want to make movies, right?" And Francis Coppola was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, we have like an extra week on this castle set. Uh, if you can write and cast oh. a movie, you can just use this castle set we have." You told me about this. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. And I can't remember where it was, Anthony, but yes, I've heard the story from he, you. He, we you know, he would do that kind of thing. But amazing. This was Alien was almost one of his B movies, right? Uh, but it, it, because it got this budget and just happened to have this, you know, young director who has one of the greatest eyes for details, um, and this uh, incredible confluence of like H.O. Giger's artwork, it, it's somehow been elevated. But I do think at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's, if you want to learn how to make this type of movie or really any type of movie, there's so much you can learn the way, like, uh, I don't think I've seen this movie uh, in like a really high quality in a long time. Like I mostly see it on like streaming or something. Uh, but seeing like the Blu-ray on my my newer TV, uh, I was just blown away by how good this movie looks. Still, uh, the set I design, am... the music, uh, the strobing effects at the end. I do think there's a lot of film school stuff you can take. Um, yeah, from this movie, you know. Okay, so th- this is a great start. So. Um... First, I just want to say uh, before we get before I go back, actually, before I forget, I just want to say that of the Roger uh, Corman films, the two that I'm most excited about seeing are uh, the saga of the Viking women in the sea serpent and also <laughs> attack of the crab monsters. Both of those look yeah. really fun. Jonathan um, Demi is probably one of my favorite directors, also started as a Corman guy. Amazing. Um, okay, yeah, so I mean, let, me, if, let me give you the let me give you the, 
three second sentence summary. That's a good. Uh, there's plenty of reasons why we should watch Alien. Um, although, again, we've spent more time talking about other directors than the one on this film. But we will talk about Ridley Scott in a second. First, let me give you, in case you haven't seen Alien or it's been a long time, let me catch you back up with a quick three se- se- sentence summary. Um, so, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, this movie about Beltalotas, obviously. Um, but the important thing is they're out in space. Space truckers. Yeah, space truckers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belted Lotus. Um, they're hypersleeping through a long drive back to Earth when they are woken up suddenly a little bit earlier than they expected by a few months and are told to investigate a distress beacon, which is always a real cry for help and never a trap. Um, but instead of distress, uh, they are, uh, just killed to death by some really fucking cool alien creatures. Um, one to three, depending on how you count it, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's it. Just space truckers killed the, well, what about the little one that, cause he died, the little crab guy. No, that's the, the face hugger doesn't kill you. It implants the egg and then the alien is technically what kills John Hurt when he pops up. No, I know. What I'm saying is the face hugger, does that count as a separate alien? That was oh, the, that's a, the that's mom, That's an interesting right? point. Yeah, okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe well, I mean, it's... The way I, okay, so the way I'm counting, just so you know, is uh, face hugger is one, um, big alien is two, and then the little alien mouth in the big alien's mouth is a separate creature <laughs> with its own personality. That's my theory. We, You know, you can't disprove it. I, can, yeah. I, I, I like it as a concept. It's supported in the text. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, sometimes it comes out and sometimes it doesn't. Is it feeling right. shy the first sometimes time? Sometimes it's not into it. Sometimes it's like, this is a great moment and I want to be a part of this. I wanna, exactly. I also want to eat this face. I yeah. think it's um, interesting that you call the face hugger the mother when really the face hugger is more the father John yeah. Hurt's abdomen is more the mother. His mommy, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so I appreciate the point you're making, but it's like seahorses, the um, the father carries the egg in this uh, relationship. Or no, the, no. Nah, I can't do it. Never and, mind. You, you're right. And you're, you're right. There's the point really is the guy, nothing... he, he does, the alien fucks that guy's mouth. Yeah, there's nothing Ew. sexual about the alien mythos or imagery, so we really shouldn't even go down that road you guys Damn, know what I'm yeah saying? It, it is There's wet nothing. all the time <laughs> yeah. well and also, it's a giant penis for a head and it does have the- a penis for a head and also sigourney weaver takes off her pants before she fights it the last time mm. well but well, i mean she, she's not taking off her pants to fight it yeah you know what she, I mean? if anything she puts no. her pants back on to fight it well that's true that's she true. takes her pants off yeah. and then it's like i'm back and then he's like oh she's like oh i put some pants on and then it gets it so really it's actually it is attracted to the pantslessness and runs away from her clothed. So yeah, it's a real incel, the alien. I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, so that's the movie alien. Um, so, uh, let's go to no stupid questions. Uh, my segment where I ask our professors, Anthony and Hunter, some stupid questions. So, um, (laughs) explain to me, Ridley Scott, you've talked so much about these other directors. Tell me about Ridley Scott. Who is he? Why do I know that name? Um, I mean, so if you listen to our Blade Runner episode, which actually was kind of like the pilot, the backdoor pilot for that's true. This This season, that's true. This is slightly, slightly condescending film school. And it was an idea born out of you guys being real jerks to me during the Blade Runner episode. Uh, Not real jerks, just slightly jerky. Yeah, just we kind of hit the the baby bears bowl of porridge when it comes to to jerky. <laughs> <laughs> um, which Man, is, you know, well, that's we don't thing. have time to talk about this, but boy, that mama bear. Oh yeah, that's right. There's some weird like which 
Okay, which bears like cold porridge? That's weird, <laughs> right? That's no one likes that. Um, also, why aren't the bears and the, the adult bears sharing a bed? <laughs> Look, it was the fifties, all right. Why don't uh, Lucille Ball and her and uh, Ricky I guess maybe that's the true. These are fifties bears, and they yeah, don't they do it. Push the beds together when they want to get busy. <laughs> well, you, you can't do that if they're different firmnesses. That would be so. Dis- that'd be very confusing the whole time. Didn't a whole company make their like in the nineties, a bed that had different firmnesses wasn't that a thing? Oh, you're right. What's the the sleep number one? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's true. Were, you're right. That's an option. G sleep number. Couple. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You're right. But the cold porridge thing's weird. No one prefers anyway, cold Ridley porridge. Scott. Ridley yeah. Scott. He's great. He's yeah. He's a he's a great director. He's made a lot of different types of genre films. Right. I think for so, me personally, I'm just a big Alien and Blade Runner guy. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. With a lot of the other stuff, I'm like. Not as hyped about. Uh, I guess a lot of people like The Martian, though. So I mean, yeah, yeah he's The Martian's not, great. He's a no very likable movie. He's what? He's no Tony. He's no Tony. Uh, Tony Scott? Scott, his brother. Uh, oh, <laughs> I like what his, is his brother. brother? What did his brother do? Oh, uh, dude, his brother made a bunch of great movies. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, why can't I think? Of, uh, Enemy of the State's the only one. The Papa True Romance. Man um, on Fire. Fire. Uh, Crimson Tide. Uh, the Last Boy Scout. Uh, the Fan. Um, great director. Hmm. Passed away very, very early. Uh, but yeah, Ridley Scott's definitely one of those directors. Beverly Hills Cop Two. Beverly Hills Cop Two. Yeah. Good um, work, Tony Scott. Uh, but Ridley Scott's definitely one of those directors who is uh, only as good as the screenplay he's given. Is kind of the way I've always described him. Interesting. Um, he is certainly the type of director who all of his movies, regardless of sort of the overall quality, have an immaculate eye for detail. Most of them have like people sitting in front of a light that's in front of a fan. Uh, he really oh, yeah. loves that kind of effect. Very atmospheric. He essentially, you know, there's a lot of people that you can say kind of like have been really influential on terms of like modern film aesthetics. But I would argue that Ridley Scott is definitely in like some of the most important, you know, like if you look at a lot of movies from like the late 70s, before the late 70s, they all kind of have a similar look and Almost everything since Alien and Blade Runner has kind of looked like Alien and Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he, you know, he has movies that go from Thelma and Louise to Gladiator, G.I. Jane, yeah. Black, Black Hawk Down. Down. These, are, these um, are good movies. Yeah, he's definitely the type of director who I would always uh, his like his stuff. Like you know, Kingdom of Heaven is not a very good movie, but the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven is an incredible movie. Oh. Um, so he is like the type of guy who you can get real wild swings from with even the same movie. I think he also was, did Exodus Gods and Kings, which is yes. not great. <laughs> well, yeah, he the last like 10, 15 years, I think have been pretty weak for him. Uh, I do love that he, um, you know, is he's he's a professional. Uh, uh, Workman, except Absolutely. for the Marshman, which is really fun. Yeah, yeah, Marshman's fun. Great script. I mean, I think that's really it. I mean, you look at and really like, well acted by Dragon yeah. Slayer Matt Damon. Yeah, he had the um, you know, he was he's the type of director who, if let's say one of your leads of your new movie got uh, outed as a sexual predator and he needed to reshoot all of his scenes in two weeks. <laughs> uh, uh, 
he could do that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like he if he if you need him to slice Christopher Plummer into his movie uh-huh. and still make that December release date, he's his boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, his films are just like you know, um, yeah. like I said, I think he probably has more misses than hits. But the hits are so good. Uh, well, yes, he's also made a lot of different types of movies. Like, it's interesting that we opened this talking about James Cameron, because one thing that I would like kind of if I were to contrast the two, um, it's hard not to connect them just because they both uh, really defined uh, the Alien franchise that we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, what I would say is different about them is that Ridley Scott is trying to uh, he's trying to make a he he does a lot of different things, and that's why I feel like I don't like him quite as much because there are different Ridley Scott dimensions that I just don't care about as much. Whereas James Cameron is kind of like I feel like if you look at his um his output, he's kind of making an argument of like, well, every movie, every genre is a James Cameron genre almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like yeah. every any movie can be a James Cameron movie because I'll just make it a James Cameron movie. Like he took the story of Titanic and then when you get to the final act of that movie, you're like, damn, this is kind of like Terminator. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> We have yeah. people running from an unstoppable foe. Like it's the same. It's literally the same stuff. Whereas I feel like Ridley Scott is a little more open and a little more like I'm going to be true to what. Then that's why what you were why what you were saying about if he has a bad script, it's going to be a bad movie because like he's that type of director. He's not going to like twist it into his world. He's going to try and go where the script takes him, basically. Yeah, and you know, he's definitely the type of director who is like you know more worried about like you know you hear stories about like him not going and giving actors a lot of notes because he's busy, like, making sure the graffiti is perfectly on the oh, back sure. wall. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's, oh, you know, he, okay. he's, like, someone who isn't, like, in story meetings with, you know, producers. He's, like, has a broom and he's dusting the set. So it's the exact level that he wants it. You know, he's someone I mean, that's, that's... That's such an interesting reputation for somebody to have, but it also makes, is he, like, it's very reasonable given the movie that i just watched for yeah, you and, so the, like, this the opening of this movie is a long wander around an incredible spaceship set yes we just oh. take some time to look around at all the stuff that he bought and it's well, great well i mean that is also you know you can when you get lucky enough, and this was another reason why we wanted to do this i remember hunter specifically you said you wanted to discuss giga yeah, uh, but like when you're lucky enough to get someone like H.O. Giger to do, uh, you know, he only did the monsters and the alien stuff. All the other art direction was done by different artists who were also oh. very well revered. And like, you know, the, the spaceships and everything are incredible. But it's it just goes to say how amazing Giger's work is that they are dwarfed by. Uh, just how brilliant and arresting his ship is, which is another just a quick side note about uh, the sort of the thing I don't like about Ridley Scott is he's gotten to the point in his career when he feels like he needs to explain the good stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like it hurts, physically hurts rewatching Alien and knowing that the space jockey is like a big bald guy in an elephant suit, essentially. Uh, which is what was established in like Covenant and Prometheus, uh, and it's just like because wait, if you who was the, wait? What are you talking about? So you know, in uh, in Alien, when they go onto the alien ship, there's the big 
Uh, oh yeah, like, the big guy in his in his uh, like his telescope gun. Yeah. Yeah. So Covenant or Prometheus spends a lot of time explaining what that was, and it was a bald uh, guy in a suit. Yeah. And it's it's so disappointing to know that because if you, I, I really try to not think about that kind of stuff while watching these movies because if you don't know what that is, it's one of the most like striking images that has stayed with people and moviegoers for going on 50 years. You know, like what the yeah, fuck totally. is that thing? Um, and I really don't understand why he feels like, Oh, I need to explain how that guy got there and who he is. It's just not important and ruins. I think a lot of the magic of this movie. Okay. Well, so be, so I want to talk about your, about, about Giger and also about the other people who did art on this um, in our next segment. But before we do that, um, I just want to talk a little bit more about this, the world of this, um, mm-hmm. I, or I guess maybe this is actually related to that more. Anyway, I really like space stuff and I also really like future stuff and I like, um, I really just like futuristic settings and like e- examining them is a very fun thing for me. Um, and this is a really cool futurism thing. Like the the world of the space of this spaceship is very interesting, and uh, like the ship is so cool and really interestingly realized. Um, one thing that I think is very fun is when people do um, like a really great job of predicting some things, and then also have these weird cultural blind <laughs> spots from the time they were in. So I love the idea of this big, incredible ship and this, like just the implied world of these space truckers and what their life is like. And their conversations around the dinner table is just like such a great, like this is, we're in this blue collar work environment and we don't, we're, it's just, here's what this group of people's like. And then also they smoke in their spaceships because this yeah. was made in the seventies. <laughs> and that seemed like forever. We'll always smoke at work. Well, that's a reasonable thing. I yeah, mean, I, uh, we can actually see that coming back around to like space truckers. <laughs> like I, truckers today still smoke in their cabins. You know what I mean? Yeah, how are you going to stop the space though? truckers from smoking? Even if that's yeah. the policy, how are you going to stop them from doing it? I, yeah. At some point, when you're paying to make that oxygen, it just seems unlikely you're going to let someone burn it. But yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, they had a lot. It's a very big ship, so maybe it's a, it's. But it's sort of like 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 smoking in submarines too. It's like uh, definitely was a thing that happened at one point, but was really dumb, and we stopped that for oh, good for reason. Sure. Yeah. It's for sure dumb, but I will say within the story, it does make sense that they would smoke, and I think it helps. It helps with the character, like kind of texture that they are smoking blue collar people. Yeah, and also, I think that's like, true. Really but also, you just loves a smoke set. So anytime sure, you sure. can have people, this is one of the smokiest movies ever made. Just, it's also one of the wetter movies I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's very wet, wet, more movie. inexplicable wetness than a lot of things that I've watched. Um, I yeah, I also love the but idea that we like can build sort of spaceships. This is, and this is such a feeling makes so much sense. Yeah. So the antiquated feelings that you were just about to mention is like I think that's really interesting too. Is just like. And it makes it sense, and I'm not like insulting it. I think it's fascinating. I love the design of this ship, and I love that that we're making these massive ships that can go these incredible distances. And then also, we haven't invented a better screen than existed in the 70s. Right. Well, I was gonna. What I was gonna say with the antiquated thing is, I like that it kind of comes around full circle to like it's what works for these types of ships. You know what I mean? Like the way certain really shitty cheap machines still use old parts like that. Like uh, that's an interesting explanation. Of, there's something about it specifically in 2020 that it feels like, oh yeah, Wayland Yutani would 
get the cheapest, shittiest screens they could, which just happened to be like pre-LCD technology. Yeah, like old CRT shitty monitors. I mean, I think, but if you can build a robot as good as they can, and I won't tell you where, (laughs) um, because I don't want to spoil anything, but if you can build a robot that well, it seems like you could have a TV that has two colors on the same television. I agree, but I I will say there is kind of an idea in science fiction that when you are, it's not so much about um, predicting the future so much as it is uh, about using the fiction of the future to make an analogy of the present. So yes. anytime you're reading science fiction, you're reading it through the lens of the now, basically. It's not, it's, yeah. it's about yeah. two time periods, what you're reading and either when it was made or whatever. So I feel like leaning in, and I actually think this is something that people kind of screw up in science fiction now, uh, is letting science fiction look like, well, what if, what if in some ways things didn't, go further i think makes the most sense actually um i I think that's might be there might be a little bit too much generosity to say that the reason why the screen like i think both those answers as to why the screens might be bad either because this company would do it or because it's saying something about this the world of the 70s i think that might be a little too generous for the design that had all these other things that were futuristic and seemed like predictions yeah, I mean, like, if they were to say, like, oh, the reason we did this is because of the, like, what is the, what are the the quality of the monitors really saying? Although, I don't know. I mean, like, in in a way, that um, that adds to the grittiness of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just set design. So it, it really is just about texture of the story. Um, so it doesn't, I, I would say that it doesn't feel out of place, even though on a logical or like abstract level, I get what you're saying, but it doesn't actually, feel no, so I think I, I actually think I agree with part of what you were just saying, which is that I, I think the re- one of the reasons I like it and, the, and I'm fascinated by where it works, where it is correct and where it's non-predictive is because of what that says about the time period. So the, the smoking says something to me about the 70s more than it yes. says something about space future. Um, and the thing that I think about all the time is this um, uh, technology and futurism class I took in college where there, um, one of the things the professor showed was this uh, a cover of Popular Mechanics from the early 50s. And it's, a, it's a, a, a whole living room made out of plastic. And there's a woman dressed as a 1950s housewife spraying them down. And it says, the housewife of the future will use a hose to do her daily chores. Wow. And it says so much about like what the people who wrote that magazine could picture and what they couldn't picture about the future. Yeah. Yeah. I also and- like, I, I understand what you're saying. I do feel that specifically COT monitors is a thing that if you let it will date a whole bunch of science fiction films, just because, you know, flat LCD monitors were like a completely non thing, you know, until yeah. they were, it was just a yeah, lot that, well, of exactly. movies. That's what I think. It, it yeah. reminds, it's, it's interesting to me about like how technology has evolved that it just, the idea of like, Oh, we've got screens and they have yellow. We'll just have the computer be smarter, but you still have to type into it. You know, you still have to, um, and it still has the same sort of processing speed of the seventies computer, or it still takes up a whole room. Like those little things are just interesting time markers for me. And you know, I- it, as a fan of technology. If I were to try and engage on this in fiction and not be like meta about it, I think the way, the way I feel like I can explain it away as a viewer is that deep space travel, I would imagine is very difficult. So maybe the reason all the tech is so shitty 
And so, you know, it takes so long to get responses on things and, and it just looks so retro is because it's kind of a like, well, once you get into deep space travel, technology kind of has, it goes backwards a little bit uh, because it's such a difficult thing to accomplish. Does that yeah, make I any mean, sense? You, no, I, 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 you guys are, I'm not trying to explain it away. What I'm saying is I, I think the, the meta of it is interesting. That's all. Yeah. I had a good time. Yes. I'm not, this is not an insult. And no, no, I, no, think no. The, I, I, I like engaging with it. I'm not, I'm not being provoked or anything. I dig the, it. The, and, and, oh, so, okay, so let's use that then to talk about the design of the alien himself, herself, and the, um, do we have a John? Is, is it a she? No, we, we have no gender. The okay, only gender we have is in aliens, and that's, and that's just suggesting because it's a mommy. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, the xenomorph. If they get the to, xenomorph is the name yeah. of the big alien with the little alien in his mouth. Yes. yes. Great. That's the name um, of the creature. Great. So the, so um, let's talk about the Xenomorph and about the setting on the spaceship by doing our last segment today um, on this topic, which is Employee of the Month. Yeah. So who is the Employee of the Month for this episode? And it can be multiple people, but like, who are the people in this movie that I should know besides Ridley Scott? Um, well, I want to talk about Dan O'Bannon, but we should talk about Giger first. Tell um, me about Giger. Yeah, Giger... Um, the only thing I need to make sure that we say on the episode is that Giger put a real human skull in the alien's um, head. Like, there's oh. an actual human skull in there, which is he shouldn't um, have done scary. That. Well, I mean, you can buy, I guess he bought one. Um, yeah. And I think he bought three, I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. And then used one, put one in there, and that is crazy sauce to me. Yes. That is one of the craziest things anybody's ever done for a movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah, he is, you know, definitely a an artist with an aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you have never seen any of his greater work, it all kind of looks like this. I mean, it's one of the most unique artists of the 20th century, I think. He is, you know, one of my favorite Giger stories is one of the writers of Alien talks about the first time he met him. Uh, he Giger offered him opium. And he's like, no, man, why do you take opium? And Giga was like, to save myself from the images in my brain. <laughs> and they were like, he was like, what? He's like, look at my drawings. And he's like, yes, they're just drawings. He goes, but they're in my brain. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But yeah, he's is not a healthy person. He is a well, oh yeah. It, <laughs> no, Giga was not a healthy person. He uh, no, he, was not. he is <laughs> definitely someone. Yeah, I mean, talk about someone working through their issues with their artwork, uh, but more expressing them. I don't think he had any interest in really working through them, just sort of <laughs> expressing them. But I mean, the the whole, I mean, everything about the alien design from you know. The ship itself, the space jockey, the like obvious sort of vaginal cavities they walk in, the uh, the you know the face hugger is basically a vagina with fingers and a tail coming out of it. Wait, but it's uh, also the thing that goes into his throat, so it's like that sounds penis very that comes out of the vagina. Again, oh man, okay, this stuff is just working on one level, but it's doing it very interestingly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like so hypersexual for a monster design, which is something a lot of people kind of like a lot of monsters kind of hint at and play around with. But Giger is like, he's like the uh, who's that one painter who paints flowers? 
Oh, oh, yeah. uh, Georgia O'Keefe. Georgia yes. O'Keefe. Yeah, he is the gothic Georgia O'Keefe. <laughs> yeah, I dig that. There's like a lot of hidden vaginas in here everywhere. Yes. There's wow. some. There's some vagina somewhere. Yeah, uh, wow. he just and he, you know, a lot of this came from kind of you know talked. I think last week a little bit, but like Jodorowsky's Dune, uh, which was a one of the greatest, you know, movies never made. It was this yeah. qu- wild, ambitious. Is going to be ten hours long. It's scored, <laughs> scored nope. by Pink Floyd and had Salvador Dali as one of the leads. It was okay, okay. Uh, but all these, all this great artwork came out of it once it disbanded, and uh, that's how the writer of this met Giger um, and brought him on, and it was just like. It was one of those things like in the documentaries I was watching today, you know, they sort of had like when Ridley Scott, because the Xenomorph is basically a almost one to one painting that Giger had done years before this. And yeah. he showed it to Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott was like, that's it. That's the alien. And the so studio just was like on this. That f- the, that drawing, though, the head is really penis like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They rounded. Oh yeah, no, there's penises in there too. Don't don't yeah, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. It's not just vaginas, but yeah, there's yeah, definitely. That was penis. not my worry, but this is troubling. But yeah, it was like it was the. I need to take thing. some opium like, to get over having seen this. Like he he saw that and really Scott was like, "That's it. That's you know." Then this movie, if it had you know, if you look at like other Otis's interpretations of what the alien was going to be, you can just imagine if it was anything less than extraordinary this movie would not hold up you would not have built an entire universe around it but it's It's, just it's such an original design like it just kind of blows everything else out of the water and giger is such a fascinating kind of character i think obviously on a lot of podcasts this is well i guess what's his name matt matt gorley i think does the giger um, that's really funny. Um, he he. I mean, honestly, he works on a lot of levels. He he is a very interesting guy to me. Um, a f- kind of fascinating person. Very easy to make fun of, like super easy because his he just has a hilarious kind of extremeness to him. He's almost like a character from like a like a farce, in that he is so <laughs> unrelenting in his darkness. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, he just is dark. Like he just there is no getting around it. it he just is so fucking dark. Like dark well, enough to put a skull in in a human skull in a costume. I cannot get over that. Like I'll while, never get over that. While yeah. being like a short oh like round blonde man with a very heavy where is it? Scandinavian? He's Swiss. He's Swiss. Swiss very heavy Swiss accent. So huh. it all just like, yeah, it's like everything about him is like easy to make fun of. But it's also because he is so like true to himself and his like, like I said, he has a style. He he had a style and it was very consistent. And I mean, it's just like his style from just glancing around because I like clicked on his like, this is his furniture line. It's like, well, it's a chair that looks like it was made out of the creature from Alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a lot, lot of, of bones ribs. and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, bones. Oh my god, yeah. this guy's I mean, got a lot of extra bones. Sort of very like. Well, I mean, he was I'm sure people did it before, but his like sort of biomechanical kind of aesthetic of like yeah. where machine and organ, like organic kind of mesh, is such a distinct thing. Um, so can you can I ask you a question? So like, what 
I mean, how does this work for uh, you're making a film? You like so so the person who made this who was like doing the early stages, the writer of this movie, the director of this movie, they didn't know what it looked like. They were just like scary alien jumps out, um, and then they were like, let's call this crazy Swiss guy. He's yeah, got I a mean, painting we like, and then he hire, makes the thing. You hire a bunch of artists that do different concept work, and they had a bunch of artists doing different concept work. You can find some of the really terrible, lame stuff out there. But it was oh, like once they Fun. settled on Giger, it was like that's it. And then they, you know, they had him. He, you know, he designed all the alien stuff in the movie, so he wasn't. He did work in like physical mediums as well as painting and drawings. But, you know, it was like you hire a team to bring his vision to life and make sure someone can actually fit inside the suit. and Right, yeah, because he's got to kind of move a little bit sometimes. Yeah, build a bunch of different suits. I mean, my favorite jump scare probably in the history of cinema is an alien, and it's when Dallas is in the vents, and he turns around for that quick second and the alien. And if you, like, really stop and think about it, it's just a guy in a suit doing jazz hands at Dallas. <laughs> but it, it's just, it works so well. You just see it for just that tiny fraction of a second. And it's just absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, all right. Well, so we're going to have to wrap up here. So, but just to, um, you said you had someone else you wanted to talk about, Hunter? Oh, I just, I wanted to, so, well, I'll just throw this out there. Um, watch the, watch that Dune documentary. It is great. Um, yeah. What was, the, what was that documentary? So it's just a documentary about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky um, wanted to make an adaptation of the science fiction uh, uh, book Dune, uh, which we're finally getting uh, another adaptation to hopefully at the end of the year. I don't know if that's Why, still but the on. One they, the one there's already is a good one. Because, uh, nah, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but they they got together this very good group of people, uh, including Dan O'Bannon, uh, who uh, is a screenwriter. And and that's actually what they had Giger on that. And that's how Giger and Dan O'Bannon met. Dan O'Bannon uh, is the writer that really had this whole idea in the first place. And him and uh, uh, some other guy, actually, I don't even I don't care to look it up. But uh, they they were the ones actually shopping this around. Uh, to studios and then they finally got uh alien to be made uh, and that's when so it was kind of like you already had o'bannon and giger and then um uh ridley scott is the one that kind of got added uh to the circle um but the dune documentary is just so fascinating because it connected all of these people in that way and those people then went on to make a lot of the science fiction movies that were big in the seventies and eighties, like, and actually even kind of permeates even farther than that. There is a, mm-hmm. there's a Giger sketch from the Dune uh, movie that was never made that you can see. They obviously ripped off for Prometheus. Like that's how oh. far it goes. And I don't even think Giger gets a credit for it. It's just yeah. obviously inspired by that sketch. Um, so that, that documentary is super fascinating. I mean, we've referenced it like what, like five times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you should totally check that out. But also, you can go back. Jodorowsky's Dune. Yes, that's what that's it's called, it. Yes. Just oh, okay. So also, like, you can the... you can you can listen to our episode about the existing Dune movie. Uh, it's somewhere back there, three hundred somewhere. <laughs> also, a wet month film. Um, also, I, I just pulled I, up. Um, a, I did a search for Giger and Dune art, and um, what it looks like is a bunch of desert buildings made out of the alien from Alien. 
Yeah. That's what Dune was going to look like. Uh, crazy. Um, I wanted to give one more MVP, someone who yes. I, you know, people definitely know and love, but I don't feel like it's enough credit, and that is just Sigourney Weaver. Oh, oh my course. gosh. How did so we, good how did we make it yeah. so far? We're bad. Uh, We're well, we haven't talked that much about the movie. That's why. The whole <laughs> cast of this movie is phenomenal, but I, I truly think like Sigourney Weaver is a phenomenal actress, is one of like the I think greatest film presence is ever and definitely is someone who um, I don't think has gotten really the respect she deserves in sort of popular culture. You know, she is definitely an actress who was nominated. You no, know, you look at like her getting nominated for working girl and aliens to aliens, like basically back to back. And it was always like, Oh, she's going to get an Oscar eventually. And then just never was quite given those roles again. And I think that's very sad. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely think she is phenomenal, uh, even in stuff that, like, later in her career, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the later Alien movies, but uh, Galaxy Quest is one of my, like, oh, favorite yeah. movies, and she's incredible in that. I think she's very good in Avatar, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I just, I think she is just so goddamn great in this role. Why doesn't she have some sort of like awesome kind of um, Marvel, like a cool Marvel role? Like not one where she's like a main, like why does Tilda Swinton get to be the fricking ancient one? uh, And then like, why, like if you're gonna whitewash like that, why not pick Sigourney Weaver for that role? Because Sigourney Weaver will shave her head and be that badass character you need her to be. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I guess probably Sigourney Weaver has like too much, um, I don't know, uh, credibility to be like, oh, I'm not going to whitewash a character. Maybe that's the story there. But give Could give be. her something like that. She deserves some sort of badass Marvel Universe uh, yeah, position. She, she is just, uh, you know, definitely between like the Alien movies, Ghostbusters, um, you know, like I said, Galaxy Quest. Uh, she's, she's someone who is incredible. Always love watching her on the screen to the day. Like, you know, when she shows up in a small role in something like Cabin in the Woods, even I just like it was a delight to see her. I just yeah, think she is so phenomenal in this movie. She's right I mean, as honestly, hell in this movie, the, the most if you had to ask me, like, OK, what's like a scene that makes you like kind of fist pump and stand up like or just like just yell at the screen? The dude, the get away from her, you bitch, is oh, just yeah. the yeah. best line in yeah. any movie ever. Yeah. Like, that is yeah, just I mean, so fantastic. We were, when we were watching uh, Aliens last night and that scene happened, my wife and I were looking, just talking, and we were like, could you imagine seeing this, like, opening night oh, in my a God. theater? What that reaction <laughs> must have been like? Like, yeah. would have been, like, People just lose. It would have been in uh, so electrifying to yeah. be in. Uh, I'm envious. I never got that chance. Uh, All right, so we got to wrap up. But um, I just want to say, since it has not come up, because it's not exactly the the theme of the show. Uh, but I had a really good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I did. Glad we I, got something that you uh, could enjoy. Fun home. Well, and sometimes you pick them on purpose to punish me, but this one, uh, yeah, this is a this is a kick-ass film. I had uh, like from the opening shot, I was like, oh yeah, this is really this is this yeah. is really good. Um, I mean, easily another just pr- just can we take a few minutes to really just gush about this movie before no, we kind of wrap up? Okay, well, <laughs> let me say one thing. Gush a little uh, bit. N- like, just just, just give me a, a little... give me a trick. Give me a um, a leak. Uh, Alien 
easily one of the greatest title codes in the history of cinema. Damn uh, right. You mean the, the words, the, the straight lines of the name slowly appearing? Yeah, with the like the music and the yeah. shot of the like the big gas giant behind it. Um, just phenomenal. Uh, this yeah. movie did uh, this and watching Aliens did inspire me to re-download Alien Isolation, uh, which is a video uh. game that is very good and nails the aesthetic of this movie oh, better cool. than anything I've ever seen. And will scare and you like 10 times more or like yeah. maybe 100 times more than and the movies will. Just a delight to be in that world. Uh, but yeah, the God, man, the that title code is so fucking good. In That's good. And it's, it's it's so good. And it's it just held it held me from then to the till the end. It was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. All right. Before we go really quick, let's uh, uh, we're going to do a quick mailbag and then we're going to get out of here. So let's take a dip into the mailbag. Also uh, decided next cat we get when naming a Jonesy. We discussed, <laughs> discussed that last night. That's a great idea. I'm all for that. We didn't get to talk much about the cat. I'm sure the cat was enjoyable for you. Um, I like that they get a cat on that space trip. That's a mm-hmm. nice thing. And it seems like the cat was not frozen, which is yeah. maybe an issue. But well, Do you think the cat, like the freezing pods have to be set to cat? Or is it just like a one species fit all? Oh, I mean, ideally, like if you're making it from a user standpoint, you'd want it to be like it can detect what the creature is and set it itself properly. You don't want the chance that you put in a cat and then turn the dial to dog and then right. like something and then terrible it happens too much. Now it's yeah, too exactly. Yeah, you want it. You want it to know. All right. So before we go, uh, one we got an email this week that I want to talk about real quick. Um, this is from Gabe with some cues for the professors. Hi, Alex. Uh, really like the show. I started listening to it this season, coming over from Hunter's Space Cats Pete's Turtles. Oh, Ooh. shit. That's nice. awesome. Um, yeah, and since then, I've gone back uh, as far as the beginning of season two in the archives. I'm not sure if I'll stop, go back through all the movies, or eventually go all the way back to the beginning. Um you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. Just uh, <laughs> my pro- When people are like, what should I do? And I'm like, don't go back that far. That's my advice. Um, there's some good stuff back there, but you... Yeah, you also have to do some waiting to get to it, you know? Um, but uh, uh, Gabe continues, so my questions have to do with something you brought up uh, in the Seven Seal episode. You said you like to watch movies uh, for fun, and a lot of these movies don't seem like fun to you. Uh, well, I'm combining that with a curiosity of my own, which is that I got into movies in the early uh, aughts. And just to Gabe's credit, he wrote uh, zero, zero apostrophe S, as, as opposed to saying aughts that was my yeah. creative choice yeah. to call them the aughts and i understand mm-hmm. if you're mad about that anyway <laughs> i don't want to put that on gabe so anyway um i got into movies in the early oos and i really prefer movies from the last 20 years favorites including pan's labyrinth and stuff like fury road and baby driver these all seem like cinematically influential movies to me but as the extent of my film school education is the free courses you've been providing this season uh, which i assume is accredited i don't actually know and this could be a bias uh, because i enjoy the movies so my two questions for the professors are what are the super influential movies that fit your caveat of something you can put on and have fun with, i.e. a film school movie that Alex hasn't seen but would really enjoy? And my second question is, how recent of a movie would be considered important or influential enough for a film school other than just looking at Oscar nominations? Thank you, Keo, for the good work. Uh, and I'm glad you're adjusting to the social distancing by keeping the same format. You're right, Gabe. We have adjusted by not changing anything. <laughs> that's our. That's how we're surviving. Um, but good question. So the questions are like about films that are 
influential, but also like a kick-ass good time. And I will say, first of all, especially because we talked about this today, but the films that you have chosen are sometimes because you think they will not work for me. Mm. And sometimes you choose them because you just think they're a kick-ass good time that I will enjoy. Um, so, for example, Mulholland Drive was a, like I didn't get, but now I think I would like if I watched again. Mm-hmm. Crouching Tiger was a kick-ass good time. Knives Out, well, that's cheating. Spider-Verse was a great time. Also a cheating. A League of Their Own. It, yeah, that's... Uh, yes, that's also cheating because it's recent. Um... Rear window is a kick-ass good time, and th- this is a kick-ass good time. So there's a, there's definitely been a few of those that you've picked, but then you've also done things like Band Apart that's meant to like hurt me a little bit. I don't know that. So okay, I don't know if Not I agree me, with the idea that it was meant me. to hurt you. It's just interesting the idea of throwing something your way that I don't know that you would have ever picked for yourself. Sure. Um, it's actually kind of a philosophy that I apply to Christmas gifts sometimes. And it, um, <laughs> it my family actually banned me from doing this anymore. So yeah. now I just get people the things that they want. But I used to just, I used to try and get my siblings stuff that like, oh, you would never get this for yourself, but maybe you would like it. Now you'll probably yes. bounce off of it and not enjoy it. But I think it's so fun, you the with, idea of you just with, exposing um, High risk, high reward gifts. Yes, yes. Um, that's That's, I think, how... I think about it even uh, with you, Alex. It's not necessarily about, um, oh, I think he's probably going to hate this. It's more like, what would happen if Alex watched The Seventh Seal? You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. the, And if it seems like, to me, oh, I want to know the answer to that question, uh, then that's fun. And I feel like, what I, I don't feel like you hated Band Apart as much as Seventh Seal was not quite up your alley. But I feel like oh. Band Apart... Did you get nothing out of Band Apart or? Um, well, I, I no, I generally liked Seventh Seal. Oh, OK. Band Apart was just mystifying. But so was Mahan Drive and Crouching Tiger. It's just both of those. When you explained it to me, I was like, oh, there's like, that's cool. Um, and both of them, I was like, there's some interesting things going on here that I don't understand. With Band Apart, I was like, I do not understand why this is any of this is happening. And then when you explained it to me, I was like, oh, this is important, but I still don't. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it as, you know, you got to have your vegetables uh, yes. Yes. With, <laughs> your, with your proteins. Um but and and I I do feel that the longer we do this, those types of things that you kind of find mystifying, I feel like they're going to come around to paying off dividends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I hope eventually so. we'll watch something that you'll be like, oh, I can see the line from a band apart to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think- and we didn't plan out this just so in case this wasn't obvious enough from the people at home um, that we're picking these week to week. So it's not like there's going to be like look. I guarantee you at episode 22, that's when it pays off all, all these different click. Yeah. I'm, th- we're just crossing our fingers that it will come yeah. back around that way. And I do think that, um, you know, so that's kind of why I like going back. But I also think that the, the idea that something like super old can't be, uh, you know, a fun blast or that something super new can't be like an instant classic or things I don't agree with. I think, you know, films like, you know, we talked about Parasite on the podcast. I think him mentioning like Mad Max Fury Road, I think it was like, a, mm-hmm. like I walked out of that movie knowing that was like a stone, stone cold classic. That yeah. was a absolute movie that will be remembered forever because it's just like the from everything from like the the like the rich thematic elements to the kick-ass filmmaking to just like the incredible technical craft yeah just to knowing how many people must have gotten hurt making it 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> just so many things about it. But like, there are definitely, it's never too new to be a classic. What I find more interesting is those movies that are going to be like reevaluated, which has actually been a very interesting side effect of quarantine is I feel that like on film Twitter, every movie is being reevaluated slowly. <laughs> um, and that's it's about been time that film Twitter went back and updated their ratings. Some of them were yeah. pretty outdated. So like that has been like, to me, that's more interesting than the stuff that you like, you walk out and like, no, that's going to be a classic. Cause in those movies that like 10, 15 years from now, when people are like, Oh, you know what? Avatar was a banger. We all those yeah. hipsters were wrong, you know. Oh yeah, yeah people finally come around on that. Uh, I'm gonna, like, I'm oh, gonna you know what? steal. Now that we go back go to ahead. it, it feels like maybe Lord of the Rings was not actually good. Maybe, maybe that will happen. Yeah, and I think maybe. I think we're on a crash course heading straight towards Lord of the Rings eventually. <sighs> Um, it does. I did not want to. This end you set, watch that that up. You set that up, Alex. That is all your fault. You didn't. No, I agree. I agree. And I, the fact that I keep making jokes about it is only making it worse. Yeah, it's it scoots closer. Have you only seen the theatrical cuts? Because that might be why. I think you need to watch the extended <laughs> editions. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna do that. Um, oh, but I just want to throw one one thing out there, um, uh, Anthony. You made a, a reference to vegetables and meats. Um, which uh, I'm going to twist that idea a little bit because uh, the thing I don't like about the vegetables and meats things is like, well, you kind of have to eat veg. You better eat your vegetables. Like you better consume vegetables at some point. Uh, you mm-hmm. need them to survive. Um, I think the the food comparison is soda and coffee. Um, you don't, <laughs> okay. Coffee, I, I, coffee I like is that. that's good. Yeah, c- coffee is bitter. Um, and so like you might not like coffee and it's also not the it's not a big deal if you don't like coffee like coffee is not important to your life but some people really like coffee and even though it is a bitter taste uh that doesn't mean it's dumb to like it um and pretty much everybody likes soda because you grow up with soda um and that's kind of how i would classify like and also soda doesn't become shitty just because you become an adult and start liking coffee also so it kind of goes both ways for me um, maybe that yeah. fell apart there the more I explained no, it, but you know, I liked it at first. You know, you're so like close. That. I think if we workshopped this food metaphor for a while, we'd find a perfect one. I think Because the would. fact that soda is killing you is like a different... Yeah, I don't like that. Sh- yeah, there's you're so many... Like, killed by I, like I, just regular movies. I think movies. I get your point. Um, so well, I, uh, I, aren't you, you kind of killing something by just <laughs> numbing yourself to... You know, like real. This is exactly tips. the condescending point I wanted to kind of avoid, but <laughs> okay. But so, so uh, I okay. So that metaphor is very good. So, so some of the movies that I think are important in the development of film are also kick-ass good times. But I think f- the, I don't know what the food metaphor is for this, but I do think some movies, some it seems like some films might have really important influences, but having seen all the things influence them are not as much fun to watch. And oh, yeah. I mean, that's just creative inflation. That's totally you know, exactly. That yeah, no, I, that's exactly that's, that's a great word for it. So because of creative inflation, some of things are not kick ass. So what's really interesting to me is that something like Citizen Kane from 41 is so good. It was just enjoyable the whole time. Mm-hmm. So so things that even with creative inflation are still great. 
um, is really interesting. Um, but some things you could also show me that's like, look, this is not your genre. This is not a movie you might care about, but here's these other things you can get from watching it. And that's, I guess, the what sounds like vegetables, if you were going to go with that. Sure, but yeah, yeah. really quick, just to get to the other part of, uh, of, the, of the email, um, what about recency? So, like, what are th- is there a time frame that makes films less, I don't know, less important? Is the fact that something is recent make it less important? No, it's just that it's that it can't be um, part of the canon yet. Or you can say it is, but we don't know uh, because our attitudes towards movies evolve over time. There is like the initial release and the the way people felt about it when it came out. And then there's how people think about it 10 years from now and how think about, people think about it 20 years and so on and so forth. And the thing is, the way we filter culture through time, we don't just like go back and watch whatever from the 40s. We watch the stuff that we're told to because I don't have time to watch every movie from the 40s. Right. I might see yeah. a, a lot of movies that come out today in the theaters Um, But I'm definitely not going to comb through the past with a fine tooth comb. So you kind of have to rely on what is it that you're relying on if you want to experience, you know, kind of the film culture of of the past. And that is essentially what canon is. Um, And there's no way to know if something is canon if it just came out. Yeah, that's such a something I think about a lot is because. We live in such a weird time that it's going to be very interesting to see what the canon of like 20, 30 years from now is when people think of this period, because you have things like, you know, the real classics that are like really preciously held on to by their right holders, stuff like The Godfather or something like that that wasn't on Netflix for a long time, Mm -hmm. fell out of the canon for like an entire generation because they had no way of watching it, right? Uh, so, so, you so have, these people signing digital rights deals are really affecting what becomes canon well, and what I doesn't. Mean, you, I mean, look at like something like uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," a movie that was like a complete bomb, yeah. yep. critical disaster, but became a classic because it was so cheap to air every year. Like yeah. the sort of like change in like, okay, we don't just have three networks. So the movie they put on every December is not going to become a classic anymore because that movie doesn't exist. So it's now going to be what's going to be like the easiest to stream on certain networks and what people have available to you. So this we live in such a weird turning of the tide in terms of what becomes um the sort of the canon like that that I, it's yeah just, to, just really quick i want to add to that the one of the time the other in a, a mid-time period between it's a wonderful life and the streaming thing we've talked about it before on the show which is um a, a lot of people in my peer group the comedies they think of as classic comedies are whatever was really cheap for comedy central to scoop up rights for in the 90s when they right. didn't have a lot yeah. of money and so the movies they were playing on cable every two days are movies that we think of as classics which weren't like hand-picked as the best movies of their time they were just really cheap to throw on cable so that's the midpoint or a, a midpoint along that way. Yeah, honestly, com- Comedy Central was a kind of read it and weep season three of the <laughs> 90s. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, actually, actually, um, I think the the season that, that all of this goes back to is the one that Gabe is going is enjoying now, which is um, the 2019 season two, which was does it hold up? We basically spent oh, right. a year yes. investigating how. So this is back to Hunter. You're saying like one of the things that determines canon is that we like there's like this initial rush and then we reevaluate later. Um, 
Read and Weep season two was the analysis of all these things from the cheap Comedy Central days and seeing what ho- what holds up and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So you're currently enjoying all these things. Plus, such a good show, not just movies, it also included activities and food items. So all of that is available from season two of Read It and Weep. That's true. And that's about as far back as you need to go. Season I one. Of, I was kind of making a... Go ahead. Go no, ahead. Season one is just not, just not. It's like the first 500 episodes just do not hold up. Yeah, it's like the first, the first 500 episodes of the show are like the first season of Pokes and Rec. You yeah. can go you, and try and watch it, but... but you don't have to. Just started season two. They basically yeah. reboot the whole show there. You yeah, know? and they figured out a lot of stuff since then. <laughs> All right, we got to go. I'm sorry. Hunter, I cut you off. Was there something else you were going to say? On that. Um, no, it's it's not important anymore. But hey, uh, thanks, Gabe. Thanks for thanks thanks yeah, for thank coming over. Yeah, thank you so much, Gabe. Me. Oh, and this is I, I guess this is just for you, Hunter. Um, but Gabe, uh, Gabe signed the email. Gabe, and then in parentheses, Prof Parm from uh, Prof which is from your Parm. Space Cats Discord. Yeah, it's from our Discord. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Well, thank uh, thank you, Prof Parm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also I know I'm sure we're sending like millions of listeners over to uh, Space Cats. It's nice to get. Oh one back. yeah, it's the easiest. It's the easiest audience to build. All you have to do <laughs> is spend tens of hours learning <laughs> the sacred arts of Someday. cardboard and plastic. <laughs> Someday I'm going to learn how to play this game with you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to make you. It's going to be fun. All right. Uh, we're going to let's wrap things up and then get out of here. All right, everybody. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next week with more slightly condescending film school with a movie that we pick in a meeting to be held immediately after we finish recording this episode. So we, we should switch the order. So we decide beforehand so we can tell you now. But we haven't yes, yet. We we're really still, should. Yeah. It's like I feel like by the 700th episode, we'll really get a rhythm down to how we do this um right but we'll, to get your graduation cap you know <laughs> i i just can't wait to find out if that if i'm getting uh uh soda or coffee next week <laughs> or vegetables there's so much so much good stuff to watch um and at some point it does sound like we should probably watch uh lord of the rings but also aliens so um fill in the gaps I, and, and eventually you know we have we also watch predator um back from um jungle month so I gotta get to Alien vs. Predator. Oh, you dear. Don't. No. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, all that and more on upcoming episodes of Read It and Weep. And of course, you can, if you are interested, if you if you are familiar with uh, the board game Twilight Imperium, you obviously are already listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles uh, from Hunter Donaldson. And <laughs> Hunter, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you, Alex. And Anthony, thanks for uh, eating vegetables with me. Yeah, uh, watching Alien vs. Predator is like eating vegetables, coffee, and soda all in one cup. It's yeah. very, very bad, unpleasant, don't do it. Like like, like pouring coffee over vegetables like cereal. Yeah, and then so- soaking that in a big juice of strawberry soda. Ugh, yeah, okay, well, see, it's interesting also to have something with such this incredibly expansive franchise where you're like man there are two real good movies yeah and then it just I mean, gets bad forever that's crazy that's and they still did like 30 more, more franchises yeah. than it is the other way 
No, that's true. That is true. Um, well, thanks for joining me, and then we'll talk to both of you again next week, and possibly um, we will keep keep an eye on our social channels. Uh, you can look up Rian Weeb on Facebook and Twitter, um, and you can find uh, upcoming opportunities to see us do a live movie heckle. We're going to figure that out. We're going to watch a movie with you, so if you want to hang out with us, that'll be available. And also, if you want to jump in the mailbag, podcast at read-weep.com. We thank everybody who writes into the show. All right, we'll be back again next week. Goodbye. Pshh.